Football on Off the Ball with Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, Scottish Premiership, and much more live on Sky Sports. Well, Brian, new manager, but same old story for Manchester United. Beaten at home on the opening day of the season, two-one by Brighton, and it's really hard to say it's any less than Brighton deserved. I think I think um, Brighton deserved to win the match, Nathan, um, and a lot for Eric Ten Hag to think about and assess. But look, you know he's a new manager coming into the club. He saw them at the end of last season. Would have been at the Crystal Palace match that they lost at the, at the very end, and they went off and played the various games in pre-season, and would have learned a lot about the, the squad and the players that they had. They've made some moves. They haven't signed an awful lot of players as yet. We saw the new centre-half, Martinez, playing today. We didn't see much else in terms of fresh new faces by any means. Christian Eriksson is not not a a fresh new face for the Premier League. Obviously, he is from Manchester United. But um, so he will will look back, I'm sure, at today's game with... um, with, uh, with, with, with thoughts of I need, I've a bit to do we need to get some more players in I'm sure he probably felt that way before and most people feel that it's going to take him time to, to change and get Manchester United really competitive with the other top sides in the Premier League but Brighton were the better team today they were the more assured team they were the more settled team um, they had clarity about how they were trying to play about the structure of the team uh, positional sense the use of the ball where's Manchester United was a bit of a uh, mix and match in the first match, a bit, a bit hop. Uh, it was all over the place. I thought, you know, in terms of shape, there was no clarity to midfield players' roles. I thought, other than Fred was supposed to be sitting. So uh, Brighton played very well, scored two excellent goals in the first half. I had to hang on a bit in the second half, which is understandable given Manchester United's desire, obviously, to get something from the game and their history of games in Brighton, who had never won at Old Trafford before today. United has been a bit of a circus for, well, several years at this stage, but in the last few weeks, what's been going on with Cristiano Ronaldo was not ideal preparation. And there's been a lot of talk again of philosophy of manager. They're bringing in a manager with a set philosophy who likes high tempo, high intensity, high press, and Ronaldo doesn't fit that. Today he started Christian Eriksen as the central striker almost, as a false nine. doesn't feel as though you can play that style of football with Christian Eriksen as your most attacking player either. No, when I saw the lineup before the match, I wondered I, I, who was going to play up there. I presumed Rashford was going to play there, but that wasn't how they lined up. Sancho played in the right and Marcus Rashford played in the left and it seemed to be that anyone from the midfield, with the exception of Fred, could break forward. Bruno Fernandes was in there, McTominay was in there. At times, Christian Eriksen was, as you said, was the most advanced one. He was the one trying to close down the goalkeeper and and the build-up play and forcing Brighton at times to play it long. But that's not sustainable. I mean, Christian is a a brilliant player, Eriksen. We know that. Um, whether he, I always felt that Spurs accommodated his lack of mobility to a degree uh, in terms of the combination of players in the team and they allowed him to be the 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 the, 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 the kind of final piece in terms of creativity in that Spurs team under Pochettino. I think in the early days he found it hard when he went to Inter Milan he found it hard to get into Conte's team probably for those reasons that he wouldn't work hard enough we know how hard how, how Conte demands that but you see him now and it's a couple of years on 
will he be able to play that that style of game uh, as Ten Hag we're led to believe that's how we want to play we'll see he may have to adapt it according as he evaluates the players they have because certainly the Cristiano Ronaldo one is is a problem for the manager whether he likes it or not the, the media attention the focus on him uh, Ronaldo's own ego his behaviour his, his um, demeanour you know, everything is examined everything is commented on everything reflects back to the manager and I, I actually really believe that from Ten Hag's point of view or Manchester United's point of view for the future they'd be better off if they could move Cristiano Ronaldo on but there's no obvious takers now of his wages or his ego the first 45 minutes, Brighton were brilliant and got at Manchester United time and time again. And, and maybe the tone for that first half was set in the first 15 seconds when Delow takes a little bit too long on the ball and Trossard almost gets in and gives Brighton a dream start. But they created a lot of chances and they cut through United so easily. Why was that? Is that is that the midfield of Fred and McTominay again where an area they simply haven't strengthened? Is it... Harry Maguire still lacking a bit of confidence, the loan not being at the level that you need for a, a full-back in the Premier League? Well, the initial part of what you described with Kent Mapas from Martinez across his own box, I thought Dallow's position wasn't very good. He was he was in too far, too close to the centre-halves, and he was almost receiving the ball under his feet without being able to see the game in front of him, it was able to see the pitch. But then when he took the touch, the first touch wasn't too bad. The second touch was the one that caused the problem, where he was just too slow in making his mind up and what he was going to do and allow Trossard to, to make a little block and get in behind. Why the trend of the game was that Brighton were able to get in so easily, I it, it's, it's hard to be definitive on that, but I would suggest that United's midfield in general weren't mobile, that there was too much left on um, Fred to be the protector of the centre-halves, with the full-backs been slightly more advanced than they probably should have been because Brighton exploited that space behind both the centre, both the full-backs and between the centre-half on Maguire's side with Dallow on the other side with Shaw. Uh, and I, I don't think Bruno Fernandes and Eriksson and McTominay in those advanced positions made United solid enough. And that's been an issue for Manchester United, to be solid enough in the middle of the field on a consistent basis, stop teams getting at them. They weren't today. And Brighton are a good side at a exploiting those spaces, that looking at a weakness in the opposition team and finding finding those areas to uh, make opportunities from. And that's what Brighton did today, particularly in the first half. Welbeck was was very good. Uh, Pascal Gross was great. McAllister in the middle of the field. You know, Trossard picking up the ball in behind Dallow so frequently. Solly Marsh on the right-hand side. They had so many players, and the player who probably impressed you mostly, most of all, Concedo. Concedo in the middle of the field, excellent. There's still a month to go in the transfer window, and you'd expect Manchester United will do some business. They've already signed Christian Eriksen, we touched upon. Malaysia came on at the end. Uh, Lissandra Martinez at the back, you don't want to pass judgment too quickly, but you know, picked up a booking, was very lucky not to give away a penalty in the second half. Does it already look as though it's going to be him plus one of Varane and 
and Maguire? Well, I don't think today would have convinced uh, convinced you that the combination is is him and anyone. I mean, uh, there's no no Varane today, no Lindelof, Maguire. I thought Maguire had a reasonable game second half. I thought he stepped in when Manchester United were throwing players forward and the full backs were ahead of them. That he, he he stepped in to win the ball in front of Welbeck and keep the pressure on Brighton in that spell when they were chasing the equaliser. And I thought all all round he had a reasonable game. Better playing on the right than playing on the left. Martinez, the left foot centre back last year, we saw a lot. Maguire in the left hand side playing uh, with uh, Lindelof on the right, and he never really looked comfortable running with the ball from there. Um, but I didn't think Martinez did enough today to say, well, he's the man. I thought he was poor on the second goal. He should have block, blocked um, blocked the cross coming in from the end line. He didn't get there quick enough and wasn't aggressive enough about making making the challenge. We saw him getting beaten in the air several times with Danny Welbeck when crosses come into the box, which is a question mark against him before he came. That he's not. It was you said he was five foot nine, I think, in the commentary. Um, and but then we saw him coming forward and passing the ball quite well in the second half and having a good shot late on in the game and it opened up in front of him. So early to make a judgment on on any player, I'd say. But there was nothing conclusive from it. I'd say he's the man. It'll be him with one of the other three. A lot of the analysis of United was that like last season was a, a low point and maybe even the four 0 defeat by Brighton was as low as they could get, and that. I think Watford, uh, Watford was lower four one away Quite to Watford, wasn't it? Still yeah. something maybe to play for at that yeah. stage, but sense that they would just have to be better this season. When you look at them there today, and the fact that they try to play it out from the back, and it really doesn't feel like it suits De Gea. Like, are the fullbacks as good as the fullbacks of the other top half of the table teams? They didn't sign a central midfielder. The Ronaldo saga hanging over them. Do you think United are going to be better this season? Do you think they have? Well, I think that I think I think they have to be better, Nathan, on the basis that they have a manager who's in place. They're hardly going to get rid of this fella after six months of it's not going to go well. So it has to be more settled and structured. Last year, Salzburg was under pressure from fairly early on the season. There was wind in the moan that they weren't going to be competitive enough, and that you know he whatever faults he had that he wasn't getting the best out of them, and it was too loose, and they weren't tactically aware enough, and he wasn't sure enough, and all those reasons. And then they they went with the the change got rid of him and they bring in Ralph Ranyak and it, it it just deteriorated for them for them. so it's got to be better than that I think I think this manager is, is clear enough about he's clear enough about what he wants from his players about the behaviour of the players about the structure of the week about the training about what the work work ethic is around the squad and I don't think he'll take any mess and I I, I think it was noticeable today we didn't see anything of uh, Bruno Fernandes now waving his hands in the air and complaining to the other players about what they did whether they made the right pass or the wrong pass or whatever so I saw that was a sign of straight away there's going to be no messing no um that the discipline is going to be a bit stricter and the team are going to play as a team. Uh, so, you know, I think that that's that's a good starting place. But I, I think he's probably also going to learn over the next while that some of the players aren't quite good enough and that replacing them... I mean, I think they need a centre-forward. Lukaku you know, didn't work out when they had him. They didn't, weren't happy with him and he, 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 was, he was let go. But they need a centre-forward that can run a bit uh, not Ronaldo, 
and it's going to be very hard to get one of them because most, you know, most teams in Europe are looking for one of them. Some of the English teams have one. Holland was obviously highly valued. Manchester City have got him. Spurs have got one. Chelsea don't have one. They let Lukaku go this year. Um, if you look around, Arsenal have a different type of player, haven't taken in Jesus, but they they have other options that can play that role as the main man said. But they got rid of a couple that weren't doing enough for them either, and that was a good move. I think for Manchester United to move forward from where they are, they need that. But I don't know where they're going to get that centre forward. United will always be the story, but it shouldn't overshadow just how good Brighton were. Finished ninth last season, first time ever in the top half, in the top flight. A quiet summer in terms of incomings. Obviously, a bit of a sideshow with Kukurea. He's gone. But so many of that Brighton players, and I mentioned this to you, that every time you commentate in Manchester United, it almost feels like you can pick two or three players from the opposition that would improve Manchester United. And again today, in that area in the middle of midfield, like I said, even Adam Lallana, 34, looked a big step up. And tactically, particularly in that first half, it felt as though Graham Potter got it spot on. Yeah, but then again, you look at Nathan, I said to you earlier today, about when you've got stability in the club and stability with the management, <laughs> then you get stability in the team. And there's less ch- chopping and changing the players and chopping and changing positions. And they're <laughs> excuse me, if the changes are being made, they're coming from a manager who's been there for a while. He's seen... He's looking at the players, he's assessing what he has, and it's sometimes it's subtle changes, but it's not drastic. So didn't, I'd say the performance today wasn't any different from most of the performances last year with Brighton, just because Basuma went and Cucurella went. It doesn't mean that oh, the system goes out the window. It's just subtle. And Casado, as you said, coming in today, and he was magnificent, 20-year-old Ecuadorian, had a great game. Um, and it, 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 there wasn't an awful lot of, of upset or, or uh, juggling or whatever. It was fairly smooth changeover players. So, again, the recruitment is clever. I said that before the match when Joe asked me about it. And there's a clear identity to how they play, understanding of what's required in each position. And you know, it didn't change in the match today. The emphasis changed when they looked like conceding the goal and they, they ended up with wing back, the wing-backs back in place rather than in very advanced. But it wasn't very drastic. There was no, we better change the system because it's not walking in the match. So I think you look at Brighton, uh, many ways, Tony Bloom, they've been a model club in recent years. I remember I've gone to matches with you, gone to matches with other people there, and you always get a sense of a club, of a very welcoming club, but a, a, a club with a real um, ethic of treating people with respect and treating supporters and fans and whoever comes into the game, any if staff of the opposition come in around the ground. That was the sense that I got when Chris Hewton was there and I used to go and meet Chris after match. That's obviously continue, it's continued. It's embedded into the ethos of the club. I think the players respond to that as well. I saw some of the interviews with, with the manager, with Graham Potter, and that all helps in terms of developing the side and you know, they may not be going to compete for trophies in the short term, but they've made dramatic improvements in recent years from where they are. A club with no ground that was travelling 30 or 40 miles to play their home matches a few years ago. You look at where they are now and they look like a, a very, again, they use the word, very stable Premier League club that can go to Manchester United and get their first ever victory there after four, uh, 12 defeats and two draws out of the last 14 visits to Old Trafford. Today they earned a win and they look the right good side. John Duggan made the prediction that Spurs are going to split the top two 
He thinks his club are going to finish ahead of Liverpool. But do you think yeah. Spurs can finish ahead of Liverpool? No. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. So we've seen everybody except Manchester City and West Ham now on the opening weekend. Uh, Liverpool struggled for a long period, got that draw against Fulham. Spurs come from behind, brilliant victory down at Southampton with Gavin Bazuno in goal. Uh, Chelsea grinded out last night and Arsenal start the season with a, a decent win as well. What's your sense after the opening weekend of what's ahead over the next nine months? There was no my sense of what that there was no great surprises. Even today, we're not surprised that Manchester United struggled a little bit because um, of all the things that we've discussed a bit earlier. No surprise that that Chelsea were able to do do enough to beat Everton, who seemed to be in a little bit of. I suppose disarray and short of quality at the moment in in, in the attacking positions and the pitch having to play Anthony Gordon centre forward yesterday. Chelsea have still got a very good squad as much as the manager might complain about the losses of the players that they've they've that walked away at the end of their contracts. But they've managed to hang on to a lot of very good players and sign some very good players too. Arsenal played very well on Friday night. Tottenham played very well yesterday. Newcastle won convincingly in the end against Forest. There was nothing very surprising other than, I'd say, Fulham's performance against Liverpool was really, really good. Um, very, very well structured team, massively aggressive and sustained that aggression. They didn't just close Liverpool down for the first 25 or 30 minutes of the match. They stayed at it for the whole game. Yes, they had to hang in a little bit later on when Liverpool were chasing the winner, but that was the best, the most surprising performance I'd say of the weekend. And they look a bit more powerful and tougher looking than the last time they were there. And Scott Parker was the manager and they went down. They look all round much more... Uh, physical, physically stronger side um, who are better prepared for the challenge ahead for to stay in the division which I think would be good enough for them to have a good season Jurgen Klopp uh, was, was very critical of his players and their attitude afterwards and it is the second game and everyone raved about Liverpool's attitude against Manchester City in the Community Shield and the aggression they brought to that game they were very flat almost almost an arrogance it felt to Trent's play to Van Dijk's play of oh, it'll just happen for us and it, obviously, it didn't happen for them. And you know, they looked a bit slow at times in midfield. Thiago's picked up another injury. Like, without overreacting, like, is, do you expect Liverpool next week to play Crystal Palace at home? Do you expect an instant response? Are there a couple of things there that actually... Well, I, well, I wondered in talking to Joe before the match today and just can they sustain another season like the last few seasons where they've played this fabulous football. And you always, when I watch Liverpool... You know, compare in comparison to watching Manchester City, where I always feel it's inevitable Manchester City are going to win the match, and they you know they outpass teams in in into submission really. At times it can be, you know, boringly beautiful at times in the way they play. Whereas with Liverpool, I always feel there's a bit of an edge to Liverpool that gives the opposition the chance to take so many risks, and they give the opportunity to the opposition to score goals. And a lot of their games are much more edge of the seat stuff. I feel you just wonder can they keep doing that and keep getting results as 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 opposition over the years learn how to prepare better to play against them and to disrupt them and exploit some of the risks they take in the defensive situations whether it be the high line whether it's pushing up the full backs so far um I, I, I think they'll come back from yesterday. I was I was surprised at the performance yesterday given how well they played against Manchester City and their attitude in the game. But 
I, I think you have to hand it to Fulham yesterday. Fulham disrupted them by their aggression, by their tenacity, by their structure and their willingness to throw themselves um, into the game, to get into the, the as the phrase is used now, into the faces of Liverpool players. They never allowed Salah to get settled on the ball or Diaz on the other side. Firmino was struggled to find any time or space to receive the ball in, in, the, in the sort of spaces we're used to him, him getting on the ball. Thiago once upset them a bit, but I thought Harvey Elliott was a real positive for Liverpool yesterday when he came into his game, the game. Some of his decision-making on his pass and was so crisp and um, so creative that I thought this is a real plus. I can see why the manager brought, brought him on. But overall... Can he play as one of the midfield three? I think so. Uh, based on what, what I saw yesterday, he is definitely, if the balance is right in there, it'll probably mean Fabinho and Henderson may be playing for to allow him to be the third one. Uh, but he, he certainly... I improved the team when he came onto the pitch yesterday and obviously Nunes had a, had an influence as well when he came on through the middle. But it's just with the points are so vital between the Manchester City and Liverpool thing, I think you pointed out before the match uh, what was it, ninety three to ninety two last year in terms of points. We've seen them knocking around the hundred points mark for all these seasons now. You wonder is even the drop in the two points at the start of the first match but well, it's a hundred and um, is it a hundred and what did I say? It's a hundred. I did. I, I I did it earlier. Hundred eleven, I think, points still to play for. You you'd hardly think the two points dropping the first game against Fulham is going to have a, a a crucial impact on the season. But maybe it will. And we're glad we had you here today because uh, if you'd managed to get to. Bulgaria during the week for St. Pat's we would have had you uh, not because of the celebrations because of uh, all the issues they've had in getting home it was it was a great night for Pat's and it's turned out to be a, a great European run I'm sure you're enjoying it I am Nathan but I, I, I think it, it was it was very tough on the clubs in the league I don't think um, Sligo Rovers or St. Pat's or Shamrock Rovers, if it comes to that, or if it was anyone else that was playing, should have to play those league games or the cup games last week, which ultimately proved fatal for Sligo Rovers and St. Pat's getting knocked out of the cup. The, the respect for League of Ireland football, for the general, say, people who are interested in sport in Ireland, but they're not, they're not part of the, let's say, the cult that follows the League of Ireland intensely. The, their interest is only stored by the performances of our league clubs in Europe. And the respect of the League of Ireland only comes with those results to people uh, outside that, that hardcore group that follow it and, say, abroad. If they see Irish teams winning, I think the FAI should make every effort to ensure that the clubs have proper space uh, gaps between the matches and no matches, no league competitive matches or cup matches in between. I know it's hard to do that with the fixtures and to get all the fixtures in for the season. And if Shamrock Rovers qualify, which which I'm hoping that they will for one of the the group stages, it's very hard to organise that. But we we don't have the depths of squads like Liverpool or clubs like Manchester City or anyone else, or Spurs or Arsenal, that they can handle Thursday Sunday football in Europe. Uh, it's really, really difficult, and I know that Pats went to, you know, they, they had lots of difficulties about the, the the flights and travel. I ended up myself going to Slovenia, and I, I felt I went halfway through around Europe to get there, and I couldn't quite do the Bulgarian one. But 
uh, all the clubs have had difficulties for the European games this year. Shamrock Rovers have had to go to Shannon, which seems a bit mad to get a flight to go to Malta. Sligo Rovers have had difficulties as well. They went from Knock the other day, as Pats did. Pats opposition, Moura, had to go to, to Knock to get home to Slovenia after matching Dublin the night before. It, it's mad stuff. I don't think it would happen if any other high-level high team in Ireland was playing abroad, that they wouldn't be accommodated in some way in terms of getting a, getting a playing out of the country to, make, to play in big games and have the best preparation possible. I mean, Stephen Bradley referred to it and Shamrock Rovers were beaten, um, were, were beaten in the initial game in, in Bulgaria and they were trained up and down uh, from the first leg. And he referred to the whole difficulties they had about getting the players uh, over to Bulgaria for that match. So it's been very, very awkward in the, indeed for the teams. But it's been good. Sligo did very well. Beat Motherwell was an extraordinary result, great result. Unfortunately, it didn't go well for them the other night in Norway. But maybe the cup match last Sunday um, was part of the reason why they didn't do so well in, in Norway the other night. Had they not play, uh, played the cup game against Wexford last week, they may have done better. And that's what I'm saying. We need to make sure the teams have every help to do better. Our coefficient in the European club standings is very, very important. If the teams do well this year, it'll help the teams that are in competition next year, and so on and so on. It's always been the case. So that's why I'd like to see the accommodation be made for the clubs, both to have their travel made as easy as possible, but also that they have enough space and time to prepare properly for the matches. But it's been great. Pat's winning and is a marvellous result in, in, in Slovenia to beat Mora, who have been the team who've you know been regularly in the group stages, beats the Boers last, last year, and CSK, Sofia, the same in the group stages last year. They, they, they're, they're in with a chance on tours tonight. I'll be able to find my way to Tala. I will. It's a pity that they have to play in Tala, but that that's you know the pitch is good, and the technical ability of the players might might help them as well. But you know Shamrock Rovers a massive match here in the week too, and uh, you know I I hope Rovers do it and get through to the the next round. Good to be back, Brian. Thank you. Thanks, Nathan. Great to be back. Football on Off the Ball. With Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, Scottish Premiership, and much more live on Sky Sports.